You're listening to the Complete Concussion Management Podcast with Dr. Cameron Marshall. Ask Concussion Doc is a show where we answer your questions about concussions, treatment, and rehabilitation to help practitioners better manage these injuries. Enjoy the show. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Ask Concussion Doc, episode number 103. My guest today is Daniel Carcillo. His Twitter handle is at carbombboom13, and his Instagram is at Daniel Carcillo. The bio is Daniel is a two-time Stanley Cup champion. He played nine seasons in the National Hockey League, scoring 48 goals, 52 assists for a total of 100 points, 1,233 penalty minutes in 429 regular season games. His enforcer style of hard-nosed hockey earned him the nickname Carbomb, and according to a New York Times article, which I am told needs to be fact-checked, he logged an estimated 100 fights in his NHL career. Maybe that's the distinction there, Dan. Check the facts. It is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Professional, right? Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. In 2015, Carcillo retired from the NHL due to ongoing post-concussion symptoms, and since then he has founded several organizations and initiatives to tackle post-concussion syndrome, mental health, and even toxic hockey culture hazing and abuse. His latest venture, Wisana Health, is an effort to treat traumatic brain injury with psilocybin, which is an active ingredient in psychedelic mushrooms, aka magic mushrooms. Daniel, welcome to the show. Third time's a charm. Let's see if we can get her done. What an intro, for sure. <laughs> Always third time. It's a tremendous bio, my friend. That's a tremendous bio. Thanks for having me, man. I really yeah. like everything you're doing on the awareness side, so... Glad Thank we you. found the time to do this. I appreciate that. I think people are going to enjoy this one. Um, so we were just, we were chatting. We, you know, for those listening on the podcast or watching this on YouTube, we had some tech technical difficulties. So that's the second time I read that intro, but um, estimated that Daniel had seven concussions oh. in his hockey career. Now, but those all from hockey, all those concussions that you. Yeah. All, all sustained in the NHL. All mm -hmm. in the NHL. You had no concussions yep. in minor hockey, junior, anything like that. No, no diagnosed concussions in minor hockey or really anything to speak of, to be honest. Um, you know, I think your next question was about the type of player that I was and how I evolved into, yeah. you know, the fighter or enforcer, if you will. Um, yeah. So, I mean, there was, <clears throat> you know, I was in, in, in uh, the OHL, I was a goal scorer uh, by all accounts, you know, scored 30 goals a year and didn't really fight that much, but I played a certain style. And I played on certain teams where I was like literally, literally everybody else fought. So I maybe fought six times and just kind of focused on, you know, being um, being the best player I could be. But you get to the AHL, you get to play against grown men. And I'm somebody who's um, honorable. And, you know, if I make a big hit back then, you had to answer it with a fight. Like that's just the way that it worked. And uh, so I found myself fighting a lot and found myself being really good at it. Mm -hmm. And um, had a lot of anger, and hockey's great for anger management, and it's the only <laughs> sport in the world that we can punch somebody in the face with our bare knuckles. And if you've had emotional trauma, um, physical trauma, verbal trauma, like we sustain in junior for um, the whole year, then it makes you pretty angry, and, and you can see how somebody could evolve into the person and player that I was. And um, But, you know, you just add that to your resume, right? So you can skate, you can hit, you can fight. He'll stick up for your teammates. He'll stick up for himself, and he could change the momentum of a game with a big hit or a fight. Right? That was it. Was it was a tool that was used um, the way the game was played um, a little a little while ago. You know, mm -hmm. five five ten years ago. Mm -hmm. Do you do you see that as being like? Do you do you think that was like an outlet for anger? Or do you think that was um, just how you became perceived and what you you know your role <laughs> and how it kind of evolved in the league? Like. Oh, you're, you got to understand you're wired differently when you're playing that sport. Um, you have to be, it's mm -hmm. kill or be killed. Right. So, um, you know, especially being a smaller guy and, and having to possibly go up against, you know, guys twice, twice my size or, you know, outweigh me by, you know, 50 pounds and, uh, um, are bigger than about a foot. Uh, you know, it's, it's tough. Um, but there's, you deal with it, you know? Um, and to be honest, I think one of the big reasons I don't necessarily remember my first five concussions is because um, you're, you're geared not to think about it. You're geared to block out pain, um, to numb it out, right? And to continue moving. Uh, so again, you're just wired differently because if you go to practice every morning um, dwelling on how bad you feel, um, you're, 
you're not getting better each day or at least not trying to get better. So um, from that sense, you just continue to move forward and, and you block out a lot of things. And then you can't, you know, diagnose something that um, you don't have any education on, you know, so we were never educated on it. We were never told about it, um, signs and symptoms and, and how to deal with, you know, anxiety, stress. But you look back on the career, I do at least in my own career, and I could see how that was actually driving me, fueling me. You know, that was my only outlet. So, so they never like told you, here's, you know, here's a concussion, here's how to recognize it, anything like that. Like, no one ever, you know, even minimal education on the, on the topic. No. Wow. Nothing. That's no. Um, you know, when the, like when the PA would do their, their meetings with, you know, Dr. Shaw, Dr. Lewis and talk about like the risks of drinking and driving and towards, you know, the later stages of my career, just being careful on the phone and social media and, and stuff like that training in that sense, but no, um, substance abuse program, a lot of stuff about that, but no, absolutely nothing about nothing head injuries the, or concussion or the risks of the game itself. Mostly no. external, mostly external risks. Yeah. No, that's, that's I mean, that was the, that was the, basis of the lawsuit right withholding this type of information from us when then you know that if effectively takes the you know uh, educated decision out of my hands um and you know then you see a lot of guys you know looking back to have medical treatment covered you know mm -hmm. so um that was a big part of the basis of the uh of the lawsuit but um you know and then education awareness inherently hopefully things change for the better. You know, I think that a lot of these leagues can, can gain access or knowledge from, you know, NASCAR or IndyCar that um, uses a lot of these eye movement tests that if guys are hurt um, with the earbuds in their ears for uh, measuring G force, yeah. if it registers a certain way, they get pulled right yeah. from the car right away. Um, yeah. That could effectively, if they really, you know, want to track uh, in a meaningful way could be implemented. You they know? have, and they have the technology for it, right? There's for sure they do. Yeah. There's research that's being done using these systems, which is called the head impact telemetry system. It's a accelerometers placed within helmets that can do this. And even other sports, they can do it in mouth guards. They can do a lot of different things to actually track, you know, head impacts and G forces. And we know kind of around the range and where concussions happen. And so I think it would help with the diagnostic picture. I mean, you got, you got spotters sitting in stands, but imagine if they had, data coming into them as well i think it would be it would be a big it would be a big thing so i think you're absolutely right wait does um, hockey use data now <laughs> i i don't know what's being done there's uh no i mean being facetious like they, that's all they use now right is is these analytics to track um performance when but, but like are this is right but like let's forget about you know tracking injury let's start talking about performance you know how you uh, get guys um, protected right and that's through vestibular system training that's through visual ocular training um, through these brain training and cognitive uh, performance programs that you can go through you know mm -hmm. and that you can optimize because you know we talk about what you can do to protect from concussion there's only one known neuroprotectant on earth and it's patented by the U.S. government, and that's um, non-psychoactive cannabinoids, um, so CBD, CBG, things like things of this nature that come from the cannabis plant, um, or some are hemp-derived. Uh, and then there's seeing the hit, right, and being able to tense up and the strength of your neck muscles from stopping whiplash. That's it. You know, um, just think about, if you think about um, just a, a fender bender or most fender benders and why people come away from it so damaged um, because they don't see the hit coming. And so then the impact and the whiplash effect causes more damage inherently. So if we just focus on those three things for athletes um, and the supplementation aspect, I think that they can be in a lot better spot as well as, as you know, baseline. Then you have a baseline, then you track. If you have a baseline, then you're better able to rehabilitate back to that baseline and then further optimize. So right. there's so many things, man. And then guys will be better. Like you'll have better athletes that are better protected because With longer one of the things. Exactly. And they'll be better. At, so you have a better product on the ice and you'll make more money. And then guys won't be suffering as much when they leave. Right. So it works really, really well. And hopefully, that's honestly one of the most exciting things with WeSana Health is, and we've spoken about this before, is we have the option, if we really want to go down this path, which obviously I'm very passionate about it, to standardize some, some sort of level of care for concussion or, or TBI rehabilitation. So that's, 
you know, it's not just about delivering a medicine. It's about using these evidence-based protocols and then making them better, enhancing them, and then working with the right doctors, doing, doing the right research. It's really imperative. Right. And we, we definitely have talked about that. So I want to get down the journey into the psilocybin aspect of things. And so you, you had your last concussion. Um, how long after that concussion did you decide that you were going to retire from hockey? Um, I mean, I was already retired in my head before I had that concussion, you know? Um, yeah. So I walked into Joel's office after Steve's death and just said I was done spiritually, mentally, I didn't have anything more to give, but I'll be as good a teammate as I can and stick around the team and make the playlist and be happy. But, you know, I was, um, badly out of shape and, you know, probably shouldn't have been in that game. Um, but, um, it was, you know, so mentally it was then, um, one foot was out the door early when the season started because my son was born. Mm. So, you know, um, I don't want to be an absent father. And, and then Steve Monitor passed away in February. Um, so then it was, you know, uh, I was 90% there. And then after the seventh concussion, it was just like, I have no more to give, you know? Um, and the symptoms were really, really severe. And, and it was just all the writing was on the wall to make a decision for myself and my family to step away, no matter how difficult um, it was. So, you know, essentially right after we won, I, you know, I knew, I knew it was, it was, t- it was time we were, that I was, that I was done. Right. Right. And then, so after that, the symptoms continued on and I know that you sought treatment of all different types and varieties, mm-hmm. um, you know, through that. And, um, what eventually led you to psilocybin? Like what was the, the catalyst? Was this a friend introducing you? Had you done your own homework on this? Like what eventually got you to that point of, of wanting to try magic mushrooms? So yeah, so I retired in 2015. Um, after that, that seventh concussion, I was dealing with impulse control issues, insomnia, light sensitivity, slurred speech, headaches, head pressure, memory, concentration, focus issues. Um, and, um, you know, ultimately, you know, anxiety, depression started to set in and then ultimately grew into suicidal ideation over the course of four years. Um, you know, some of these symptoms strengthened in severity, some lessened, but for the most part, they were there pretty persistent for, um, the better part of the four years before I got introduced to psilocybin 18 months ago. Um, I tried things like self-deprivation tanks, hyperbaric chamber, moxa acupuncture, um, you know, TMS, uh, spec scans, MRI, CT, um, you know, uh, functional MRI, QEEGs, uh, checking my hormones, um, you know, uh, a lot of different um, treatment modalities that are out there to promote neurogenesis, um, like biofeedback, uh, neurobiofeedback. And, um, it's, and then, you know, obviously focusing on diet, focusing on sleep. Um, and so for the better part of those four years, I was spending a lot of money at these, you know, neurological clinics, functional neuro- neurological clinics. Um, and, you know, I'd, I'd see some results for a little while, but I was always tracking my progress every six months based off of the modalities I was doing. I'd pick like three or four. Um, and then I'd test at the end of six months to see the progress I made. Um, and, you know, if I didn't, then I would switch some of those, some of those modalities, uh, got, you know, to about 18 months ago where I was getting pretty frustrated and um, hopeless. And I pride myself on somebody that like reads a lot of, you know, medical papers, stays up to date on the newest things to try. And then I try them, you know, and then talk honestly about them. I was just at a point where it was getting very dark. My anxiety and depression was growing. Hopelessness was growing. I felt like I was a burden to everybody around me, uh, my family friends. Um, I had some fractured relationships just because, you know, I was isolating and, um, a lot of mental health issues. And, uh, when you have three young kids, um, I had a car in the driveway, roof over my head, somewhat financially stable. And I wanted to end my life. Um, you know, it's not right. Like I knew it wasn't correct. Right. Like I knew something was off in my brain. Um, because looking around, all intents and purposes, I have a really amazing life. And um, so I was at that point, though, that, um, you know, a former teammate reached out. And I was like, I made a decision at that point to, like, basically, 
you know, um, <laughs> that's enough with hockey. And I cut that whole world and community out. And then I started to just commit myself to advocacy and, and really, you know, commit myself to research and finding a recovery tool for me. And luckily, like I said, a former teammate reached out right at the same time. And, and, um, I left my rink behind, left the gym and training kids and stuff and just focused on CBD medicinal mushrooms. And I was introduced to psilocybin and, um, you know, we did a, a really, really big dose, five plus grams. And it, um, I woke up the next day. It was the most difficult two hours of my life. And, and I want to preface all of this by saying this is my journey. This is in no way, shape or form any type of medical advice or um, this is just things that I've tried and, and um, you know, things that, um, you know, could just I, I just want to speak about my recovery journey and what's worked for me. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, I did that with a, with a, in a responsible way. I prepared for it. Um, a, res a responsible shaman, responsibly grown medicine. Uh, the set was right. The, the setting, um, my intention was to recover brain health and just, um, you know, try to get change perspective on my view of the world, um, and, and my injuries. And, um, I, it, it did that for me. And I woke up the next day. Uh, feeling different. <laughs> um, you know, I had for some reason more energy. Um, I had a little zest for life. I remember like kind of shooting up out of the bed rather than just mm. dragging myself out of the bed. Um, I, I wanted to learn. Uh, I wanted to learn about farming and CBD genetics and, and medicinal mushrooms. And, you know, I started to like making correlations between the last four years of concussion paper research and PubMed papers and supplementation and you know, different structural things that happened in the brain and just realizing, you know, hearing all, always hearing like BD, things like BDNF. And, and then I was starting to read about these supplements and seeing the same type of verbiage and correlating the knowledge back to how this could maybe work and then delved in harder, you know, into the science and, um, um, you know, as my symptoms continued to fade away, um, I just, I, I started to read about, geez, how could this work? Like, why, why do I want to feel more connected to my family? Why do I want to get back there? Um, apologize, move forward, uh, mend relationships. I feel more connected to my kids and way more patient, less impulse control issues. I'm sleeping better. And this is all happening over the course of like two weeks. Like it just keeps coming and coming and compounding. And, um, you know, it was just amazing. And then, um, that was like with the big dose. And then two weeks after, like all these symptoms continued to get better and lessen in intensity and then eventually go away. Um, I continued on this microdosing protocol. So it's a sub hallucinogenic dose, really, really small dose of, um, of, um, you know, psilocybin in combination with some of these other adaptogens and, and cannabinoids. Um, and, I mean, I was at like the three month mark. I was like, wow, like I'm feeling pretty amazing. And, and everybody else around me was starting to see it. But like, I got two or three months of, of recovery from some of these old modalities. So I was like, yeah, let's keep, you know, just, just keep on the path and uh, don't say anything yet. And then six months came around and, and everybody around me started to see it, you know, and in my face and on the posts and social media and starting to change the way I was thinking about how to interact and educate and make people aware. And, um, and then, so I retested at six months on this protocol. I stopped everything else. I stopped all the other biofeedback, neurofeedback, um, you know, self deprivate, all that stuff. And just focused on like mindfulness, focused on diet, uh, focused on implementing intermittent fasting with this, with this medicine protocol. And, um, and then I got a, a QEG back for the first time in five years with no abnormalities. Uh, so like structurally, my brain is communicating in a different manner and there are no abnormalities There are essentially no problems with, with how my brain is, in, is, is, uh, functioning. And then my blood work came back clear. So my free testosterone was uh, optimized as well as my cortisol levels were back to normal, um, which were really high, which is a stress hormone, you know, and the, and the, and the testosterone just explains some of my anxiety and the brain fatigue and fog. Um, and so then I was like, wow, this is pretty amazing. And so then I started to delve into more research, found a study in 2014. I'm sure some people have seen it. Um, it's a placebo brain and a brain on psilocybin, uh, done by the Imperial College of London. And then you see these neural networks that are made. 
and and the brain is stimulated and essentially breaks up destructive thought patterns and so i saw that i'm like okay and then i correlated that back to everything i hear in these concussion clinics and and it's um you know we're going to stimulate your brain we're going to identify regions that are shut down due to trauma and stimulate those regions and and um make new neurological pathways around your trauma and then you essentially should be feeling better you know and, and you have to continue to use it or else you lose it like all those sayings and uh here was a natural medicine from the earth that can address not only my perspective of my injury but also create these new neural pathways and there it was on a functional mri and i'm guarantee you no amount of uh neurofeedback is ever going to be able to do what um big dose psilocybin ceremony work can do and then there was quickly yeah, not as quickly. I think that it can still work. Don't get me wrong, right? It can work in conjunction with these uh, evidence-based modalities. But I'm like on a path now with this defined protocol that I've been on for 18 months to, you know, bring forward something through FDA Health Canada trials that is is novel and that's validated that I think can work really well in conjunction with these other modalities that do that are evidence-based that that can help build these new pathways, solidify good habits. Um, you know, I think of like clinics of the future, we're going to be able to, um, I think, you know, uh, administer these, these big dose ceremonies, um, you know, at obviously, uh, clinics run by physicians that, um, understand and know how to work with the medicine and be able to guide somebody. And, um, on the microdose level, you know, that's kind of still up in the air, but, you know, wouldn't it be magical if somebody could go to one of these neurology clinics uh, or these mind gyms three days a week and, and take this microdose under the care and guys and, and do these exercises, right? Like, um, and standardize some type of level of care for TBI, right? It, then it, come, it kind of comes full circle, right? There's baseline, there's, you know, the diagnostic, and then there's also rehabilitation, but then there's also the betterment of well people, man. Like we've, we've seen this help a lot of people and, and it doesn't necessarily need to just be TBI survivors. Um, and that's a big reason you know, two of our lead indications are TBI related anxiety and depression, because, um, you know, if, if uh, you have TBI, you normally are pretty, pretty anxious about the recovery yeah. system, you know, pathway, and um, there's not a lot of TBI support groups. Um, so hopefully, you know, I think like we wants to, um, you know, be a, an outlet uh, and a support system in combination with people like yourself and others that are have been doing the really good work and the outreach and, and have a really great following. And so, yeah, it's, um, it's exciting. Yeah. The journey has been pretty exciting. Yeah. I mean, I mean, the, the term is magic mushrooms and it's, and it's interesting because it seems to do a lot of things that, you know, have a lot of magic behind them. I, you know, I was doing research in preparation for this. I've been wanting to dive into the psilocybin research a little bit more, and this just gave me an excuse to, to do that. Right. So, um, for those listening, here's kind of some of the things that it's been that, that it's been shown to be helpful for cluster headaches. Here's one study: 22 of 26 psilocybin years was reported that psilocybin reported aborted their cluster headache attacks. Migraines, small samples so far, but there's a reduction in number of headache days per week, reduction in anxiety, treatment-resisted depression, even end-of-life anxiety, uh, alcoholism, smoking cessation, substance abuse, increased neuroplasticity. I'm going to read a quote here. Psilocybin and related classical psychedelics such as LSD or DMT are hypothesized to promote neuroplasticity through mechanisms involving 5-HT2A agonism, which is a serotonin uh, receptor to which psilocybin binds are, are essentially are especially prominent on large glutaminergic uh, pyramidal neurons and deep cortical layers. Um, these receptors are suggested to rapidly increase the inactivity as psilocybin is ingested, hypothetically resulting in elevated expression of brain-derived neurotropic factor. The resulting temporarily, uh, temporary state of heightened neuroplasticity may already occur after a single psychotropic dose and could allow for major synaptic changes which was suggested to offer an important opportunity for psychotherapeutic interventions. Inflammation, same type of thing. It, it upregulates or it downregulates inflammatory markers like interleukin-6 and other interleukin molecules. It's, it's insane what, you know, what these studies are showing and what, you know, the potential of psilocybin is, um, and especially in this space. And like I told you before, when we were, we were chatting over the past couple of weeks is that, 
you know, this is something that I was just waiting for somebody to come along in the, in the brain injury space, because, you know, like you, I've been going through all the research, obviously on this for years, and you just see the writing on the wall in terms of how, you know, helpful this may be for some, for some elements of, of, you know, PCS and, and um, even the other mental health aspects that go along with PCS, right? The chronic anxiety and things like that. Mm -hmm. So I want to ask you a little bit about your, your actual experience, your big dose. I don't know how, you know, comfortable you are talking about it. A lot of times, a lot of it can be painful, but did you, would you say it was a mystical experience? Was it a positive experience? Was it a scary experience? <laughs> you said it was the toughest two hours of your life. And, yeah. you know, people will experience sometimes, you know, a, a quote unquote bad trip. Um, I don't even, I don't know if you had any experience with mushrooms before, if you ever did them, you know, as a kid or a teenager. Um, I know I experimented, you know, back in my yeah. childhood with them. Uh, more no such, uh, no such thing as a bad trip. Um, there was a difficult trip like I had, which was, you know, a life-saving trip, which, um, so when you work with this medicine on a big dose level or work with this medicine in general, it tends to exasperate what's going on, um, both in our body and mind and soul at the time, at the time I was suicidal, I was lost. And so I knew I was going to be in one, uh, so to speak. Um, and I was prepared for that. You know, like that is something that you need to be prepared for if you're called to this medicine, if you have a lot of trauma. And so I purged uh, just this dry purge, uh, not unlike um, ayahuasca, but it was just this energy. And I, you know, you can't really control it. Um, tried to fight it for, you know, an hour, two hours. Um, I was totally lost in my life. And uh, when I was on this farm, it was an unknown place to me in the landscape. And so I was lost within my psychedelic trip um, the whole time and, and, you know, kind of stuck in what seemed to me like a loop. Um, and it was very reminiscent of my life, you know, and, and these are the types of things where if you can correlate the things you see in the experience, if you have a really good guide where you can talk this stuff out afterwards called integration, um, then you can, you know, learn a lot of really valuable lessons, you know, and um, eventually it was when I was just done fighting. Um, I was, I was, you know, so caught up in, I fought everybody, um, you know, it seemed what, for what it seemed like my whole life, both on and off the ice and was always kind of on guard, um, you know, a lot of mistrust in people and um, I don't think I need to live my life that way anymore. And so it was kind of this, this, you know, surrender. And um, it was pretty beautiful for an hour after that, um, listening to, you know, some 432 hertz music and just um, going to a different place. But, you know, I reference, I go back to, um, yeah, if, if people want to go look for studies to convince them that this could work for their trauma or, or mental health ailments or stress, or um, just go look at John Hopkins and the end of life anxiety and depression studies they did in terminally ill cancer patients. So I think one of the biggest fears that we all have is of the unknown and death and where we go and where our loved ones go. And if this medicine at a high dose can take those fears away, can quell uh, anxiety and depression in terminally ill cancer patients, then imagine what it can do for you. Yeah, it's, um, it, I mean, the, there's, there's been documentaries done on that too. And, and some of the, the personal experiences, listening to the stories of the people is just incredible. And you're talking like one dose and a year later, they still have no fear mm -hmm. of, of death. Uh, you know, there's, these are stage four cancer patients, you know, they're terminally ill, they are going to die in short time. And they basically put it all the ball behind them. And they, they just learn to enjoy the, the life that they have. And um, that's just, that's just incredible. Especially when you talk about the market around antidepressants and anti-anxiety medications, right? Um, you know, it's crazy. Um, did you experience ego death or ego dissolution? That, that concept of a, of a sense of self, you know, fading into nothingness, visual hallucination. <laughs> you know, like, No, no, I, um, no, it was, you know, I tend to do things the hard way. Um, <laughs> and that was reminiscent of my uh, experience. And, you know, um, I had ego dissolution several times with ayahuasca, uh, in, you know, that was about eight months into my journey. Um, but, uh, no, not with, not with psilocybin. Mm. So you've done ayahuasca as well. Yeah, I did ayahuasca. Yeah. Eight months after, 
you know, about two months after I got that clear QEG, I was very hesitant to do it because I was feeling so good. Um, but it was with a heroic hearts project or a 501c3 uh, veteran organization that connects um, veterans dealing with mental uh, uh, trauma to uh, psychedelic therapies and experiences. And so we did, we put together as kind of like brainchild. Um, we put together athletes, executives, and uh, veterans um, all healing together, these types of like warrior spirits in a sense. And, and, um, and so it was, you know, it was really profound. The reason I ended up going is because um, there's articles to suggest that there's uh, compounds within the ayahuasca vine and the trichuteri bush that, um, you know, contain uh, neurogenesis properties. And so um, there was still more I wanted to do. Um, you know, everyone's like, are you healed now? <laughs> There's no such thing. You know, it's uh, a constant, um, moving forward and peeling back the layers and just getting better and trying to evolve and, uh, getting more connected to people that have both passed on and, um, you know, to people that are, are still here. I'll, I'll go over here. Cause I know there's a lot of comments happening, uh, in just, just a second, but I have a couple, couple more uh, things just to ask about, um, like the micro dosing schedule. Um, how, how do you do that? Is that, you know, do you do that every day? Do you do that every couple days? You know, there's different ways of people thinking about this. I just want to know kind of what, you know, what schedule you found to be helpful and then how many other big doses have you done since? Um, so yeah, so there's, um, three, you know, or two, I guess, socially accepted protocols, but I always tell people this is natural medicine. Um, and you know, a lot of the known side effects are, are, are minimal. Um, and you know, some nausea or, um, and, and so, you know, you just choose what works for you, you know, try it. Um, and, uh, and so, you know, some of the accepted ones are three days a uh, four days on three days off um dosing you know once every third day um and then there's you know um there's five days on two days off uh, and there's um there's a whole bunch i've used you know <clears throat> something that's worked for me i don't want to specifically kind of say it but um there were like a, a bunch of loading doses um you know spaced out Sometimes, you know, every other month, sometimes once every three months. Um, and then lately, it seems like now as I continue down the path, I need the bigger doses less and less, um, which is really nice. And um, able to, so that means I'm able to stay in these good habits longer now, these neurological pathways. And um, so, um, so yeah, so it's a pretty, you know, it's specific to the individual. Um, but, uh, you know, you got to be really mindful of not using this medicine too much. Uh, that's why in all the protocols, there's always days off. Mm -hmm. um, and if you're using this medicine as a crutch um, and, and you think it's a miracle, um, a miracle capsule, it's not. It, it's, um, it helps you open the door, um, so to speak. You still have to walk through it and you have to want it and you have to use it with intention. And, and that's also why, too, like a lot of... I started in advocacy and then, you know, you get to a, a, a place where you can help a lot of people, thousands of people would like, you know, you want to, I want to help millions. And, and, you know, we think we have something that can be, you know, researched in a meaningful way, but also like we can be signaled to the noise and there's a lot of noise out there right now. Yeah. And I think, you know, our company can, um, you know, show people, and really hold true to what this medicine means to me. It's been life-saving. It's been life-saving for a lot of other people that I've seen use it. Um, and, and then definitely it's not an and one use case, that's for sure. And uh, it, it can be so meaningful for a lot of different communities, especially, you know, veterans. And um, for every one NFL concussion, I'm sure you know, there's 7,000 amongst women of domestic violence. And, you know, we will use athletic platforms to kind of leverage and, and get, the story out in the education awareness because a lot of former athletes are turning to this and they're willing to talk about it. Mm -hmm. um, but ultimately, you know, this will go to serve some of these um, under underserved and under recognized communities, you know? Um, so that's, what's really exciting. Yeah, I think so. Like, I mean, let's, let's dive in now to Wisana and 
and you just closed up a $4 million investment round, uh, which, you know, congratulations on that. That's, that's big. Uh, I know you guys are working on the next phases right now. So what is the first step as you see it to try and kind of get this going? I know you and I have talked about this, but I know that there's probably a ton of people watching this right now that are thinking, you know, I, I'm, I'm interested. I, you know, how do I sign up? Where do I, you know, where do I do this? Um, so what's the first step for you guys in trying to, to get this going? Yeah, so we're closing. Um, well, we just closed the the seed round, which was oversubscribed uh, to four million um, with a lot of really great backers. Uh, and we are moving through an audit right now to list in um, probably sometime in April, early April to mid, um, on the Canadian Stock Exchange through a reverse takeover uh, with Stiefel. Um, and so you know, people can um, can just look out for that. Um, we'll be making some announcements here uh, coming up soon. And, you know, we're just focused on using the funds that we raise now towards um, uh, key hires, which we have a really amazing medical staff. Our uh, chief operating officer comes from um, a background of uh, 27 years of global drug development experience with companies like Novartis and Biogen. But I met her through my advocacy work um, at a MAPS event, a SOAP event. Um, She's also, you know, the, the board chair of MAPS Public Benefit Corporation. So, um, you know, just, um, you know, trying to, to bring people on who believe in the recovery mission, first and foremost, believe that the medicine is sacred and then are willing to like do the good work to, to see it through, um, to, to create a global pharmaceutical in a responsible way. And then we've brought, um, you know, Stephen Bart is our chief medical officer. He, um, sits on the FDA coronavirus task force right now. He's been in neuropharmacology since 1984 and um, he's got a lot of, you know, really great relationships in the industry and has been the lead the principal investigator of over 400 clinical trials himself. So um, just a rock star veteran. And, and then Mark uh, Wingertson, who comes from GSK and Pfizer uh, and has a really uh, great background, a PhD in um, uh, pharmacology, psychopharmacology. So um, a really great, you know, clinical team that's driving this forward. And you asked kind of what the first step is. First step was capital. Um, and then the next step is now to do the work. Um, so we have preclinical work uh, planned with Charles River, um, and we have uh, two patents filed on TBI uh, specific to um, our composition of matter uh, on the microdose side, and then a protocol, a novel protocol with the loading and maintenance doses, as well as a delivery method. Um, and we have that on TBI, and we also have it on migraine because it's helped my wife's migraines um, for the last seven months. So it's, it's funny that you mentioned that, uh, we've seen it help like a lot of indications, right? Cause PCS, it covers, you know, a good 20, 30 indications. So those are included. Uh, and we'll look at all of those moving forward. But the first two indications we're going to study are TBI related anxiety and depression. Uh, there's well-validated endpoints with the FDA on anxiety and depression. And then we have the ability to go off label with this mm-hmm. formulation for just those two. Um, and so that's kind of what our preclinical work is focused on. And then, um, as we move through this year, we're also working with, uh, MMS and the regulatory side to create our briefing packages, uh, they're called. So when you want to apply for an indication to regulators, um, you have to apply in health Canada through an IMPD and then uh, create this briefing package, uh, as well as through the FTA, it's called an indication filing uh, for the two indications that I mentioned. And then you include like this um, data that we're collecting uh, as far as the preclinical work we're doing. And then the uh, retrospective studies that we're going to be doing um, on some of the people who've been on this protocol already. Um, so, and then once that's done uh, in Q4, we'll, we'll file, go to a meeting. Um, we'll do the pre-IND uh, meeting in Q3 and just kind of lay out to these regulatory bodies, what we think um, our clinical plan is going to look like and present all the data that we've been collecting over the last year. And then, um, you know, move forward with that FDA meeting as well. And, um, and then if they say, yep, this looks great, or they'll say things like, oh, you know, you might want to add this or take this though. You don't need to do that. That's too much. Uh, then we'll go back, prepare, um, finalize for Q4 of this year. And then get approval. Once you get IND, IMPD approval, you can move into inhuman uh, phase one testing. So we hope to do that in Q1 of 2022. Nice. And then in the meantime, um, we're exploring the uh, um, idea and, and possibilities of uh, helping people right now through the um, special access program in Canada. 
Uh, so we're in talks with uh, regular regulatory health officials there to see if we can, um, you know, get people some of this life-saving therapy and medicine uh, now for for the unmet uh, medical patient need of TBI. Nice, nice. Yep. So I mean, it sounds like you're going to be busy over the next year, but it sounds like things are going to hopefully move quite quickly. Uh, yeah, you mentioned, you yeah. Just mentioned a term. I want to just throw it out there for people. You mentioned the term MAPS. That is the Multidisciplinary Association for Psychedelic Studies. Mm-hmm. Um, they uh, they help to you know fund a lot of the research in the psychedelic space. So if you want mm-hmm. more information, you can look up MAPS M A P S dot org. Uh, and yeah, can- think about donating for sure. Right, Cam, like they're, yeah, they're really amazing. They're the, um, so they were one of the first to get um, regulatory FDA breakthrough status for MDMA for PTSD. And they're the only um, organization right now as a nonprofit um, that is in phase three trials with the FDA. So yeah, definitely think about, you know, taking a look at them and they do a lot of really amazing work. um, And this will be a meaningful treatment modality for veterans. So check them out. Yeah, I think that's, uh, that's a good, that's a good point. Um, okay. So I want to give people a chance. I know there's been some questions coming in across the board. Uh, I don't even feel like reading all these are so many, but, uh, what do you uh, got? Yeah. If anyone has any, uh, any questions here, I'm just looking, there's just a lot of comments and stuff like that, but, um, let's see, let's see, if, see if any, uh, you living in the States or Canada, I am in the States. Do I have different questions than you? Most likely, right? Uh, I don't know. I think that, yeah, I think they're the same. Should be the same. Um, you're a great man, Dan. <laughs> we don't need to read those comments. <laughs> uh, question my- is a living hell. Yes, it can be. That's for sure. Uh, here's here, here's one for you. Do you still watch NHL games on TV? Um, I mean, no. I don't. No, I've come across a, like a few highlights. Um, I just don't have don't have time. When I'm home, I'm with the kids. You know. Yeah, so. me too. Me too. I, I've never really Try been, not to be on TV. I've never really been a big hockey watcher. I'd rather play. No doubt. How is magic mushrooms compared to ketamine? Yeah, that's a good question. Yeah, I'm not qualified to answer that though. So I'm 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 really not either. I mean, it, it's just a it's a different um it's a different mechanism There's, of action. I think, but I yeah. think along the same line, it's 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 a type I of think, psychedelic. It's a what, it's a. What um, do you think about NAD? NAD. Yeah, do you know about it? No. No. Um there's a there was actually like a doctor here in Chicago that um melds NAD with ketamine infusions. Oh um, yeah. I know there's yeah. ketamine clinics, right? And yeah. yeah, yeah, there's tons. Um Yeah. That's what's offered right now. How much milligrams are in your microdoses? Do you do, do you do actual mushroom are they are they synthetic? Do no, they're actual. Yeah. The natural. Yeah. And do you like grind them up and do your own capsules or how do you, how do you do that? Um, no, they're just gifted to me. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, no, they're, they're, uh, yeah, they come out of a decriminalized city. So you're a great advocate, Dan, very well educated. I agree. I think that you've done your homework on this, right? Which, um, you know, I think you're a good advocate for the TBI community. I think that, you know, you're using your voice uh, for good. Um, you know, you have a you have a story, and um, and I think that this is going to help a lot of people. So, um, like I said, I've been waiting for somebody to do this in this space for so long. And uh, when I saw you doing it, I was like, all right, I can't think of anyone better to to do this. So good for Vegan you. Vegan capsules all day, puck daddy. <laughs> Um, how would it be used to treat someone going through the early stages of a concussion? Um, more research needs to be done on that. Um, so, you know, we're, we're tailoring some of these in human trials now. Um, but you know, we're targeting related symptomology, which usually, um, kicks in two to three weeks after a concussion. So. I think the big, I think the starting point is going to be the PCS cases, just like with everything, right? We started, yeah. with, we started with research and exercise and you couldn't even get FDA or you couldn't get approval to run a clinical trial on exercise for people with PCS right. because it was so ingrained in our minds that when you have a concussion, you're supposed to rest and do nothing. And so it started with the really chronic patients, the patients that weren't getting help and with any type of other, you know, validated treatment. And so then it kind of works its way back where now we're actually running, you know, randomized control trials on people as early as, you know, a week after injury. So, 
I think it'll be the same thing. We just, we start with the safest, you know, element and kind of work our way back. I mean, the safety. Are there validated endpoints yet? For TBI? In, in what, in what? Like sense? FDA validated endpoints for TBI? Like no. structural, no, right? And so that's, no. yeah. And that's why we, you know, that, like, so that's a problem. So we have to do more research, right? To get to that point, because that's also why, you know, uh, TBI related, right? Um, just if there's no endpoints, so it's like, how do we get, how do we get there? You know, like how do you, so how many do you, variables, but how do we get how, there? How do you prove that a concussion has even happened? Right. right? Like there's just, it, there's no um, way to definitively diagnose that a concussion has happened. It's a clinical, you know, it's a clinical diagnosis. So right. how do how can you definitively show, you know, it's, it's a, it's a very difficult, it's a very difficult question. So with the, and we've touched upon this with the, um, and this is, you know, good education, I think, with the blood test that came out, then what, um, you know, maybe you explain to people what that's going to do, because you had a good explanation about it. So the blood test is, um, is to be used in emergency departments, because of the blood brain barrier, when somebody gets a concussion, they may get a concussion injury. But the compounds because the blood brain barrier doesn't allow a lot of stuff to go back and forth. It kind of keeps our, our brain uh, from any type of exter external pathogens. So if the brain gets injured inside the blood brain barrier, it may not leak out into your blood. But if you also damage the blood brain barrier, like if you had a bleed, uh, then you would start to see brain specific proteins in the blood system. And so the idea is that when you get a concussion, if we're going to CT scan everybody, it's a lot of radiation. And so the idea behind this blood test now is that it can potentially pick up who has a bleed and who doesn't, which just protects people from getting unnecessary radiation. So it's not a blood test to diagnose concussion. It's a blood test to rule out uh, the chance of there being um, a, a bleed. So that's, that's why I think a lot of people see that stuff and they, and they key on the fact that there's a blood test for concussion, but it actually, there actually isn't. I want to talk just quickly about, um, the, the fMRI studies that have been done on this. So just people understand kind of, you know, how this may work, because you were talking about the, the different connections happening when you have a placebo brain, and then you have the brain that's on psilocybin, you see all these these crazy connections to start inter, you know, going and connecting with areas of the brain that are not normally connected in, you know, in, in somebody that's not, you know, under, under the influence of psilocybin. There's two main brain networks. One is your default mode network, which is also called your ego. So I asked Dan about uh, ego dissolution. And one of the reasons, the, the, one of the main reasons why psilocybin is thought to work is that it improves your executive function networks and it, and it actually quiets your default mode network, which is associated with negative thought patterns, which is associated with rumination, which is associated with anxiety, depression, that type of thing. Yeah. So, and the fMRI studies have all um, shown this. So that's, yeah. and that's important too, like why people can break these destructive thought patterns because the DM, um, default mode network is... Um, a place that we basically like in layman's terms, just hold all the, our programming. So everything we've seen on TV, our family, like constructs, um, who we think we are as a person, um, everything. So that's why it's really great. Uh, and they kind of call it a reset or, you know, Michael Pollan describes taking a big dose of psychedelics as, uh, you know, shaking the snow globe or, um, you know, getting to a hill with uh, fresh powder on it. Um, so like the next, the next morning you kind of wake up. And you can go anywhere on the trail, right? You don't need to go in these defined paths that we have been so ingrained in us uh, for so long. And so um, that's what's really, really exciting too, because with injury survivors or TBI survivors or, or just people that don't necessarily understand symptomology or the injury or where to go, or it, it can be scary. So I think implementing, you know, through um, some type of big dose ceremony with intention that we can be positive and we can get better. Like I was an extreme TBI case and um, I am no longer suffering from any of those issues. Uh, life happens, stress happens. Um, and I know how to deal with that now in a really like healthy way. But um, you know, uh, with what I've been able to do um, over the last almost two years, it's, um, you know, hope to be a testament to like, we can get better than our injury rather than thinking we want to be the person we were before our injury. Mm -hmm. um, so that's what's really, you know, the most exciting, exciting part about this. Yeah, I think it frames, you know, recovery um, in, in a whole in a, in a whole new way. Um, see if there's any more questions here. But other than that, I think um, 
you know, I'll just, I'll just let you go and maybe we'll do a round two as things get going with clinical trials and moving things along. I think this is something that's, uh, that's super, super important. And I just want to, you know, thank you for coming on and, and sharing that with us today. Um, see if there's a couple more questions here. Um, treatment options. Can I reach out to you or what should I do? Um, you, um, you know, I think like, so maps is really integral. You can go on maps if you're interested about like learning how to gain access to this. Um, unless you're a TBI survivor, just look for like these upcoming, um, announcements and emails on the, on the special access announcements. Um, but for the most part, go on maps and there are test sites that are running clinical trials with psilocybin for various number of indications and see if you qualify. That's one way to legally access this. Um, uh, and then there's other ways too, but I won't mention them. And uh, you guys can, you know, kind of just do your homework and just be very responsible. Yeah, sometimes it's hard to find, but there are places, um, you know, in, in a lot of city centers that do it but uh like dan said you know be careful be, be responsible um yeah um thoughts on lion's mane mushroom do you incorporate that at all yeah yeah yep yeah, me too. yeah for sure for sure i mean big time um bdnf boost from yeah. from from the main so yeah cognitive performance memory concentration focus um yeah again just you know know your source and know where you're getting it from yeah, reduction of Alzheimer's. Um, mm -hmm. There's been studies on animals looking at reducing yeah. beta, beta amyloid, amyloid protein, yeah. so, uh, which is a huge thing for for Alzheimer's disease. So I think there's potential sure. there, and I think the research on this is just getting started. So um, again, our guest today, Daniel Carcillo. They can find him on uh, Instagram at Daniel Carcillo13 and on Twitter at CarbombBoom13. Um, anywhere else people can find you, the company is Wisana Health. Um, look out for them going onto the Canadian stock exchange in, you said about April, hopefully mm -hmm. fingers crossed. Yep. Nope. We're, we're tracking, we're moving. We're tracking. That's, that's everything that I was doing today. Yeah, man. I, we're, know. I know we're on, we're on, we're on pace for sure. All right. Well, I appreciate you making the time and, uh, I'm glad that we were able to make this work. So, uh, cheers. Let's, um, we'll end it here on the live and then, uh, yeah, we'll go from there. Okay, cheers, guys. Thanks, yeah, thanks buddy. for joining us. Thanks, man. Thank you for listening to the Complete Concussion Management Podcast. If you like the show, please subscribe and let us know by leaving a review. Have questions about concussion management for future episodes? Submit them to our website, Facebook, or even Instagram. See you next time.